Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fine episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. Today, it is just me and the Ed Mann. Uh, the Ed Man. The Ed Man. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. We finally got there. It, it's been, what is it? So we've had one failed recording, yeah. uh, my bad. Yeah. And then we've had about a half hour experience trying to juggle between Google Chrome and Firefox. It felt like. Uh, and, and actually, two different an iMac and a MacBook. But we were there and we've got Zencaster working. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we should see how this goes. Yes. It's really interesting, actually. I mean, this, this product, we, so we're trying out Zencaster which is this online podcasting tool. Uh, and it seems to do everything you want. It's almost too good to be true, it's going to be, it seems, because it's a, like, it does VoIP in, in the browser. You just send someone a link and then they can go there and it records. You can do like the double enders where, you know, you, you record at your end, they're recording at their end locally, and then it just, you know, automatically post-production merges them together, etc. So we shall see. This will be our first attempt at trying to use it um, like for one of our, our conversations. So let's see how it goes, man. Yeah, well, we did do another one, and then you lost the recording, right? So I was hope I I, I kind of glossed over that because uh, it's yeah. a very embarrassing yeah thing. So uh, yeah, yeah, th- thanks for bringing it up, Mike, Mick. No. Yeah, f- feel feel really good. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Uh stressed a little bit. To be oh honest. man! Uh, <laughs> and this and this half hour, just last half hour, didn't help out with that at all. Not at all. Not at all. But um, no, it's good to be on, and uh, it's good to have a little break from the code. So uh, yeah, it's all good. How about you? I'm really good, yeah. Really, really good. Um, how is the project you're working on going? Um, yeah, it's going all right. Um, we're hopefully nearing completion, but it's just, um, well, I think I said to you before, but yeah, I I think I, by my own admission, my own admission made uh, quite a few bad design choices, if I'm being honest. And uh, yeah, like I said, not, not through laziness, just, I don't know, gift of hindsight. It's kind of being realised that, you know, I should have done a few things differently. And I'm trying to really catch up with that and put fixes in place. So yeah, it it's getting there, and hopefully it'll it'll go live soon. Um, then I've got my uni project with deadline of the first of December, which that basically <laughs> that is pretty gutting because I've not really been able to achieve what I was hoping to achieve. Um, uh, I've got lots of data which I need to start like analysing, but. Um, yeah i mean i always knew it was gonna be hard if not impossible so you know it's no real surprises but it's yeah it's it's a bit frustrating and, and actually i've spoken to quite a few people who in their final projects for their masters or their phds they they didn't actually achieve what they wanted to so you know it's just one of those and i, I think the way that i executed it was reasonable so i'm hoping i'll still pass but it's really um up to them now so yeah yeah. Well, let, let's address the first one there. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's go through these two things. So, yeah. Firstly, you know, like hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah. And there is no project, specifically of the size you're doing, that you're going to be like, this is the perfect product or project. Sorry, you know, perfect architecture, perfect decisions, everything I did, just you know, it's almost like I had did it already, you know, kind of thing. Because the only time that you're ever going to do something perfect is if you've had the opportunity to work on, to test out ideas, to you yeah. know 
do choices and then eventually you've come up with a solution that tried and true and you can just apply that again to a project that is very similar um this yeah. you know again was a complete greenfield project that you had no idea about beforehand and you've had to slowly but surely build up a system um i think you know as I said like there's there's no po- uh, there's no bit of code there's no code base that's perfect and there's always going to be warts in it and tech debt and it's about consolidating that and then working on a battle plan to eventually you know to tackle that to chisel away at all these problems to to break up that you know uh, you know x problems and then put them into tasks that you can then do to slowly chisel away at it uh you know it's the same thing as legacy code really it's you know the similar kind of mindset where you have to you know you have to get it live and you've made it you may have made a wrong architectural decision um but you at the time you thought that was the best one that you could do uh you know that was the right way forward and then you look back and you're like actually hmm, maybe i shouldn't have done that and you have to live with it for now get it deployed and work on you know fixing it afterwards and and i think that that is the true kind of testament i think that's as developers we need to you know we need to be as you know as, i suppose it's it's kind of like nothing's perfect and it's very hard because i, I know i'm a perfectionist i know you are yeah um and i think over years it's it's very much there's so many different factors and we've spoken about this you know off air you know the different factors that kind of affect you um you know that you know constraints that you have and uh, if you had an infinite time on a project then yeah you could probably then say all right scrap it all let's start again uh and, and that's when projects products don't get released and when ideas never come to fruition and you never get to see the you know results of it um you need to get an mvp out and you want to be able to see and test to make sure that's working and then when the success happens and start, you know, and people start using it, then you can slowly, you know, iron out the problems. And maybe the, the, the areas that you feel now that are problems may not be problems. You may have been like, actually, no, I went down the right rabbit hole, you know, kind of yeah. going down there and, and seeing what was going on. I think you're definitely right. And and I guess that's why a lot of companies, they will kind of like work in a niche industry. If they've made a, a successful application in one area and they've, they've learned and they've got that expertise and then why wouldn't you carry on trying to do that? But yeah, and like you say, I mean, I have learned so many things. Um, I, you know, I could list them off all day, but I mean, certainly one of the things I think, like, you know, I always try and work towards, you know, the KISS acronym, and but sometimes, do you know what? There isn't a simple answer. There, re- there really isn't, and it's just a case of dealing with the complexity as best you can. And um, but and the ever changing complexity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but I think there's just sometimes there's that feeling that. that you can get to a point where your application feels like it's running away from you, like it's it's getting out of control a little bit, and uh, and that's a horrible feeling. And then you just have to stop and you have to rein it back in. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think one of the one of my demons from this project, you know, one of the, the really the things that I, I regret I have fixed today. And and I, I said to you, I was really reluctant to use cron jobs as a way of kind of um, maintaining uh, state in the database, but it's just you know, looking at all the options, you know, it just now, I, I, I think it was the best way to go. So that's what I've done. Um, but, you know, my my worry for that, that kind of thing is if a cron job fails, but it's not a critical thing. And, and I think, like you say, over time I can put in something. So, you know, if something does fail, that another worker will kind of spawn and, um, and, and do that. So like you say, get the MVP out and then address all those factors later, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, and, Adding asynchronous tasks into the background and splitting out and, and starting to think in that way um, yeah. as these small processes that kind of, you know, are, are really isolated and then, you know, they, they transform the data slowly, like the ETL kind of, you know, extract, transform and then load model for certain data analytical stuff, but also then just in general processing, um, mm. you know, 
yeah you, it does add some complexity and and the the you, the way of thinking changes um but it's very topical to actually talk about that because that's actually one of the things i'd like to talk about later on yeah uh, but no but then addressing quickly your masters yeah um yeah how many this is the thing like <laughs> Uh, projects like that and 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 research the amount yeah. of failed attempts or attempts yeah. that haven't you know succeeded in what their goal was yeah slowly builds up to then eventually you know someone cracking it and unfortunately yeah. it wasn't you who cracked that or you yeah. know you you kind of you set out and, and you had an idea you had a battle plan and then what the nice thing is is then you're you're giving that knowledge to other people next time you know who want to maybe look into this field to be able to then say actually oh, you know there's some research here oh all right they did it that way maybe i'll just tweak that and do it another way i mean all the inventions and in, in, you know all these you know groundbreaking inventions we have in the world not related to computer related to anything really are you know slow tweaks over what people have done beforehand yeah yeah no you're, you're definitely right and and like i say when i started the project i was under no illusions that you know i probably would fail in fact you know my, one of my first regrets for the project was the title i wish that i had a title was an attempt to do this whereas i think i put um reverse engineering uh you know google search algorithm or something but that sounds stupid. so much more badass yeah, it does yeah but also ridiculous and um but yeah, I mean, I like I say, I need to look through the data that I've got. But for me, certainly, I I think one of the things I've shown, and again, I don't think this will be groundbreaking. I think people already know it. But in fact, you know, I've got articles from people from Google who kind of, you know, back this up. But certainly, I can't remember who it was, but someone quite high up at Google who basically said that their search algorithm doesn't really use machine learning. You know, so all these companies that are trying to crack how Google works, they you know, you can't because they're not using machine learning. They are using, you know, engagement figures, which only Google have because they're the people who've got tracker code on, you know, pretty much everyone's website these oh, days. Oh, how genius are they, hey? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? They're right, actually, because, you know, what is more important? I mean, what is the biggest indication that a site has got good content other than how long a person spends on the site? Yeah, and where, which areas of the site they yeah. yeah spend time on, and and I, I think that has been a testament to a, like a company like Google, which yeah. you know they they make products that then they're able to. That it's not necessarily the product that they want to make. Like they're not looking to make the best analytical product. Really, they're mm -hmm. looking for the data yeah. at the end result of it. So they're giving you a product to think, oh, it's great, it's free. You know, yeah. it's this Google Analytics. We get all these things and stuff. And it's like, well, actually, at the end of the day, they're getting all this information and they're able to use it in their core product, which is search. Yeah, I think there's like a, an expression, isn't there? Like, if you get a product for free, you are the product. You know, that's, uh, that's yeah, absolutely works. that's great. Yeah, so, <laughs> that is scary. Yeah, yeah, but no, you're absolutely right. And uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been you know interesting. I have enjoyed doing the project, and you know, I've got a fancy React app that just has like a spinning circle that does nothing. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> what else do you want? Oh, sir, you beat yourself up way too much, man. I think it's the trouble of being a perfectionist in an imperfect world. Yeah, um, true. Or it's like purity and functions, isn't it? It's like pure, you know, functional programming, and then you have to do this impure IO and all this undetermined, you know, unreal, you know, kind of unexpected things will happen. And it's trying to deal with that. And yeah, yeah, that is very, very true. Uh, but one thing that kind of like, I guess, one open question I have from the whole project really is if, like, you look at Bing's results that are pretty much identical to Google's. Then you think, how's that come about? I, you know, that one I don't know and I can't answer. You know, something I'll probably look at when I'm writing up my dissertation. But, you know, I mean, they're pretty much identical. So either they've got an algorithm that, you know, is very close to Google's or, or maybe they 
they, I don't know. Maybe they just, they just get their copy. Yeah. <laughs> they scrape Google yeah. for all of their different <laughs> queries and they essentially try and align them up. Oh. I mean, it's unrealistic. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's seemingly unrealistic, but that could be along the lines of what they do. I mean, the, the trouble is, is, is what, yeah, what you were trying to do is very hard. Yeah. But I'm really intri- intrigued to you know read your dissertation and stuff, and it'd be great for you to you know if you can, when you come on next to you know I when mean, you've done it, we can chat about just it. Just make great kindling, you know, getting a fire going. Kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a few copies. You're so mean, TSL. <laughs> it's it's it's. I shouldn't laugh because it's yeah. I deserve no. Yeah, but anyway, that's me. Oh dear. Um, yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm well, okay, well, I haven't been doing a huge, you know, just unreeling an MVP, and I haven't been doing any cool master stuff, unfortunately. But what I have been doing is, um, so at work, released the project that we were doing, so that, that kind of took up a lot of our time. Uh, and we kind of neglected a bit of tech debt um, over a month or two period. And um, it was really nice, actually, because we were fortunate enough to be able to say, okay, well, let's spend some time now kind of, you know, re, you know looking through the backlog and, and making sure, and, and, you know, kind of, yeah, trying to tame the tech debt, you know, that we do have, like every product does have. Um, and, what, and what I was looking at is revisiting our logging and monitoring systems and infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of along the lines of that as well was dealing with how we do, well, what you were just talking about, asynchronous commands and stuff. Uh, so on the first thing, so looking at logging and stuff, so logging and monitoring obviously is a very important topic and it's a very important thing to have in an application, especially when you've got a lot of people using it and you need to know when an error occurs or there could be a potential for an error or is this working? Is the system up as, as I expect? Um, and looking at the log severities and, and, and that's an interesting thing. Like with your logging, do, do you use like the PSR logger interface and like with monolog and things like that? uh i don't know i to be honest with you, all i literally do at the moment is um i use a uh, laravel's exception handler um and then that just sends it off to sentry so okay but well, that, that probably under the hood will use something like monologue maybe is, actually, yeah. um, and i definitely say like well once you start getting more into it yeah you know it'll be definitely a thing you want to look into yeah yeah um, so yeah, so the the logger interface uh, it, it goes around the it, or it uses sorry the syslog uh, severity warning uh, levels or severity message levels, and there's there's seven of them. Uh, off off the top of my head, so there's debug. Yeah, so, there's, yeah, Laravel definitely does use monolog. Yes, yeah, so, and info info and all these ones right. That's it. Yeah, so it's debug info. Yeah. Uh, war- uh, notice. Yeah. Warning. Yeah. Error, and. Oh, an emerge no, uh, error, alert, and an emergency. Yeah. And I hope I haven't forgotten any. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so all these seven levels have different meanings. And what you'll find is there's no actually tried and true perfect, like even in the, the logger interface does provide, say here's an example of, you know, the different types of times you'd use each one of these severities. Uh, they're very important actually. And I think severity warnings, the trouble we had was that when we were using our syslog um, and we were just logging out info from yeah. a file. So we dumped it into a file and then we would read that in and replay that into Logly. And we'd always just have a severity of just info or something, but trying to pick out the good ones. Like I want to know what 
errors have happened because or alert and if an alert happens i want to be known about that and i want it to be pinged off to pager duty etc so working and tweaking on your authorities are very important and one thing i was able to spend a little bit of time on is kind of within our infrastructure within our products or, or each of our individual apis and, our, and all this and our commands and stuff we're able to work out and even within the domains within that such as like payments and things working out what severities each of these messages should be and getting them in and, and using Logly with alerts and stuff. So I would definitely say spend a lot more, you know, people to, to invest some time into looking at their log severity warning. Uh, I always say log severity warnings when actually that is one of the actual severities you could be. But log yeah. severity messaging and kind of, yeah. And, and I really recommend to do that. Uh, I'm going to actually put a blog post out. So I was, I was able to write some documentation in our knowledge base just about kind of how we do it and with some examples. But again, it's so specific to your product, like what you deem to be an info to being yeah, yeah. like, because one of the things is like debugs. A debug is like almost like a trace type of thing. And actually in other levels, like other logging standards, trace is another one, trace up to zero to six they have of all these different things like i know in java they have that for log4j yeah um but yeah so you can have like you know debug code which just you know kind of shows the flow of the structure of how the application kind of you know the execution paths yeah uh, info would be like application start and stopping and and general kind of flow to see you know that the application's working as it should be and then notice typically you use that with like kind of interesting things that have occurred so stuff like you know like that is out of the not it's not an error and it's not a warning it's not like something that's gone wrong it's just something that was interesting that it actually happened you know like maybe a payment was declined or something but it was a user error and that'd be a notice to us because we're like oh that's interesting why was it declined and if too many of these mount up maybe it's yeah. a problem yeah um you're then like things like warnings and stuff like that warnings are potentially a problem so maybe the payment decline one is one where you know if it happens a couple of times, that should be escalated to a warning because it's interesting. Why is this person still always having issues? Is it our problem? Is it still their problem? Uh, and then errors are things that need to be addressed by the user. Uh, so by by admin and things like that, there are you know, problems that won't kill the system, but may like affect, say, that payment in particular. It may need some manual, into, in, you know, kind of input now. We may have to deal with it manually. Uh, and then you'll go into things such as like the, uh, you know, the alerts and the alerts are ones where it's like look something bad has happened uh you know we need to address this asap and then you get emergency and emergency is always the funny one really because it's kind of you never use it because it's this the system is not working at all <laughs> and to be able to send that the system's not working at all it's kind of a weird one but because the syslog standard is used for such a generic amount of things kind of many different things then it's yeah, yeah it's trying to it's trying it's trying to cater for a lot of different audiences yeah i've i so I'm guessing you get a bit annoyed when people use the wrong kind of levels, like unnecessarily. Well, I, I was. I used to be that guy. Like I, I used <laughs> to just use info and yeah. debug for everything. Yeah. And I would use them, you know, kind of intermittently, and then I may mix up and be like, "Oh, this one I'm going to use a notice for," but I would have no reason to be using it other than it's what I felt it was. And going in and re- re- reading and being like, "Why are these logging levels like this?" and looking at it, that was me doing that. I'm like, "Well, why have I done that?" And and I think mm-hmm. it's been able to take that step back and look at these log severities because it's so important when you started tracing through things being able to especially in like a syslog format where you send stuff through using syslog you know you're able to get the the severity and you're able to get like 
the PID, so the process ID, and you're able to get the application specific, and then you're able to get the message, and it gives you all this kind of information around, is this important enough for me to have to deal with now, soon, you know, kind of within the next, you know, X amount of days or whatever, you know, it kind of prioritizes what something happened and when has occurred. And, and maybe if a batch of these happen in a certain space of time, you need to deal with it in a certain case, you know, it's, it is, it's adds on and it's, it's the next level from, you know, like just sending out emails to like a certain inbox or, you know, these kind of thing. One thing I find, and um, I've not had this for a long time, but like definitely recently with like my final project not working out how I want it to and, and issues with this project I'm working on is, you know, I've definitely had a bit of imposter syndrome recently. And um, But one thing I find, like using Sentry, which is brilliant, don't get me wrong, absolutely superb. You know, when you get you're getting pinged with emails with stuff going wrong, the stress can really build up. And ultimately, it's... It's good to have because you fix the errors and then you can go through, tick them all off and you feel good. But you have to be careful of things. Sometimes those it's interesting how we perceive error logs, I guess. Um, I think that is the hose pipe problem, isn't it? And it's the, you know, like you're, you're, you're essentially now, a lot, I mean, you're, what you'll find is that a lot of problems that you used to have that, you know, would just use a error, like the amount of people that, that an actual audience will come and emailing you say that there was a problem. These are like the most severe ones because they're affecting them there and then and they want to still use the products and they still want to, you know, they're just annoyed that, look, this needs to be fixed, etc. Yeah. Um, maybe they're paying for the product or maybe they just want to use it. They've got a vested interest in letting you know about it. Yeah. Some people don't even bother and it may break on them and they'll be like, oh, whatever, I'll try again, do something else. And it will just work and then you'll never know about it uh, and unless you log that and actually you know you kind of curate you know this this information you, you'll never know about some of these problems and and that may be why the reason why you know when you when you start opening up that hose pipe and you open up the hose pipe and you're like whoa there's so many problems it's because they pre-amounted over time yeah. and you haven't had a chance to fix them because you've never actually had a port of call to actually view them yeah true um but but i would say though like Definitely, I think false positives are one of those horrible things as well. Like, particularly, like we have like certain race conditions in our system that slowly and surely, surely we're trying to fix, but they're very hard to fix in some nitty gritty areas. Yeah, um, and they're hitting kind of like like database layer, you know, kind of constraints and stuff that we don't want them to. We want them to be handled above that layer. I mean, fortunately, you know, obviously the database invariance is protecting us, but we obviously want to be protecting. You know, like it should never get to that layer, but you have. You have to kind of not, it's like the testing issue as well, like with the red, you know, if you yeah. see a lot of red and you're used to seeing red, you kind of don't care. Mm. So this is again where severities come in really, you know, really quite prominently because if I see an alert, I know that's something we have to deal with ASAP. You know, that's something you should wake up in the, you know, in the morning, early in the morning because it's happening. Um, and, you know, if you're seeing errors and things, you're like, okay, well, these things I need to address and, and, and warnings and things. It's like, oh, that's interesting. There's quite a few warnings going on there. Maybe I need to investigate that at some point today. Um, but they do allow you to prioritize things because if you're just getting, as you say, like a hose pipe full of errors or whatever you deem, you know, information that, you know, could be, how do you prioritize that? And how do you deem like this is necessary, you know, because, yeah, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah, well, I think, you know, on the priority thing, that one of the great things about Sentry is you can see those those counts. So you know what your kind of big errors are and you then do have somewhere to start. But um yeah, it just I think when you're when you're up against it, those kind of things can get really quite quite stressful. But it is good though to have this information. I do think more information or more data that can be converted into information is more valuable. It's better than um, but it is your head buried in the sand, right? I think, yeah, and I think then it is just all about filtering it out yeah. and working, you know, about like 
you know, you, you want to know when things are going wrong. You know, I would prefer to know before the user tells me that something's gone wrong. Yeah. You know, I can see their request immediately come in, right, there was a problem there. Let me try and rectify it before they come along, you know, in an asynchronous way, like maybe an hour later saying, oh, there was a problem with this, et cetera. So yeah. I think it is better. Um, yeah. And, and, and actually then, again, like, so talking about the asynchronous stuff, so you're saying that you started, you know, you've started off doing a bit of a couple of cron jobs and stuff in your, your current project. Yeah. Uh, did you mind like talking about like why what 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 was the kind of the reasoning? Yeah, so uh, so the system I'm building obviously is all to do with statistics, but there are some some that are really hard to to mine and and get. So like I think I was saying to you, like I, I thought I did everything with the best kind of um uh, what am I thinking of it? Uh, kind of database design in mind. So sort of had like one normalize item. it normalization exactly third yeah. normal form. Yeah, exactly. And just making, yeah, getting all the relationships right and stuff. But because of the way I did that, that meant then retrieving some data was really, really hard. And there's a lot of like nested data. So the way that I could get around with that was, was using a cron job basically to then just kind of, you know, go around and say, look, is this finished with? Okay, now update this. And, and I know it's a system that's used a lot. I mean, I think Magento does it right, and and a lot of systems do it for like building flat tables. You, you do that right? Is that am I right in thinking you create flat tables with crons or something? Yeah. So well, so we, we, you you process things using you know because there's yeah. two different ways, isn't there? You can have processes that require you know asynchronous background stuff, and then you would have yeah the flat table approach. Yeah. Where you know you want you've got a bit of data, but you want to do like an ETL kind of. Yeah. I want to break this up. I know I've got to query this type of information and aggregate it. Yeah, yeah. So mine is just, you know, going through and, you know, and synchronizing data, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I I wanted to avoid it once I've been resisting it for a long time, but um, it just got to the point where the resistance was stupid, the reasons why I was resisting it. So, but I guess my, my real objection to it is, um, and it kind of ties in, it's not technical debt, but in my mind, I'm thinking, I always think like, what happens if I do get hit by a boss and someone else comes in? to work on this application looking for cron jobs might not be the first thing they would look at and then they you know if you're not careful they just seem like this voodoo magic that's doing things to your system and you've no idea what or why or when and like where do you document that you know or i don't know maybe the first person to come in will be like oh yeah cron tab e let's have a look what's going on but i don't know i mean well no it's, it is interesting actually because i suppose it does add and increase the complexity of the application because now there's not this single, you know, flow through the application to do a request. It may be relying upon things that have occurred beforehand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once a system, and, and it's actually interesting. So this is a blog post that I'm writing for work um, about the other thing we've done. So we did the log severity stuff. Um, and then it was kind of looking into the way that we do our commands. So we have a lot, we have, we have a lot of like, you know, asynchronous background stuff that needs to go on within the application, you know, whether it be sending emails or processing queues or, you know, doing one offs things, you know, like every day we kind of, you know, send off emails to certain people, analytical stuff, what, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and, and we, you know, we typically, we, we use Symfony, so we're using the command, you know, kind of system set up in there and it works really well. Um, and we initially started off, uh, you know, so we, we would have that and we'd have a cron tab and we'd do a cron and say like every five minutes we'd do this task or something. Um, and that would work fine. And over time it gets, you know, to a point where you've got too much throughput now where it's like, maybe, I mean, let's use the like analogy of an email system. So, you know, say you start off with a new system. So maybe your system then, right? So you start off and you're saying, okay, then I would like to send out queued emails every 30 minutes. 
because you know it's okay for these people just to batch up the emails and send them out every 30 minutes so you have a cron job which just literally is just a cron tab in cron tab saying all right every 30 minutes run this command yeah and it will send out all those emails all the batched up emails that have occurred within that 30 minutes seems yeah. seems pretty realistic that's now an asynchronous task all you do now is each each request now you're just saying yeah yeah yeah, fine fine whatever they're registering i mean maybe 30 minutes is too little time maybe if I, like say every five minutes or something and you're saying okay then add it to the queue for send for sending emails now fine so you've gone from maybe a, a single request which sent out the email with it to now an asynchronous one where you've got an added a queue so that has added the complexity but it now allows you to kind of deal with those two problems separately yeah yeah you know, also another thing is dealing with kind of the separation. And like you say, so the bus factor. Mm. So I look at your code base and I have this command called send queued emails. Yeah. And then you think, what the hell does that like? Who <laughs> who runs that? What this guy run it like whenever he wants to? Yeah. You know, it's like there's nothing in there. I mean, you could have a, you know, have a comment on it saying, by the way, this is a, cron, you know, in cron tab, you should do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, one thing at my builder, what they did before I got there, and it was really is a really good tool is you say they invented, they created a a cron a cron package which generated cron tabs uh with you know like a nice dsl and php okay. also they made the chronos bundle uh in symphony and what that allows you to do is allows you to put php annotations at the top of your command classes so uh-huh. what you could do is you have i have a command send queue jobs or send queued email sorry and it says at cron and you specify the cron annotation you want and then the server it's on. So you now know when I look in there, and this helps me so much, and it has helped all developers, I think, when we when they've been introduced to it. Yeah. To be able to see it's very close to the code that's being run. So you can see, all oh, right, yeah, so this is getting run every five every five minutes then. Now oh, that makes sense. Okay. And you know, that kind of it, it provides yeah, you yeah. without having to write extra documentation. It's part of the code. The code then, I mean, I know obviously dot comments being code it's you know it's a controversial thing but it allows you to be like okay then that information about when it gets run is very close to where the actual code that is being run is yeah yeah so that that kind of helps address that issue yeah um and and that was great so you know we've done that and we kind of got you get to a point there although where five minute intervals isn't good enough and you've gone down to maybe a one minute interval and it still isn't good enough and what you really want to do is you want to make this continuous so you're not saying it's time dependent anymore it's not saying every 30 minutes i want to do this or every one minute and you're not saying like i only want to do this you know one on a tuesday at one o'clock or something you're saying i would like this to run forever as long as I can, please, I want it to be wild true, essentially pick out an email and send it immediately. Okay. To kind of give you that, yeah. you know, the, the effect, you know, when the request comes in, it's instantaneous to the user. Mm. Okay, so, and, and your throughput really warrants that now. Now, what we did um, was we kind of just slowly iterated on our, our solution. So what we decided was we were like, okay, then, well, let's, let's add this concept of a run manager. We, we, so what you'd do, you know, instead of sending, you know, having like a, a, a method where you'll be like, get me all the unprocessed emails and then send those, you know, that have occurred in the minute interval or the five minute interval you had. Yeah. Uh, what you do instead is you just have a while and the run manager is okay. So you'll say, okay, well, I can still run, pick out an email, send it. Boom. Genius. Now, this could be an infinite, you know, loop, isn't it, essentially? Because you could just be like, all right, start the command and keep going. Yeah. Uh, but there's a couple of factors in there, uh, you know, because so you'd start off. But then obviously the real world, again, you can't run things forever, unfortunately. You know, yeah. you couldn't, you know, we speaking to, you know, Joe in a previous episode, you know, garbage collection is very important and things. And uh, and yeah, you, you can write things run for a long, long time. But sometimes you get yourself in a state where the best thing to do is turn it off and on again, yeah. essentially, and just restart that process. 
you know, whether it's, you know, too much, too it's used, allocated too much memory or the duration, you're like, oh, I can't have this connection open for that long, etc. Yeah. So you couldn't just go with the fact of saying, all right, I'd like to start this command and it run forever. And it's just happening in the background. You could top it and see that it's running. Um, so what we ended up doing as well, along with the run manager, was we would allocate and say, okay, well, there's max runtime. So, you know, this command can only run 30 minutes. So run this command for 30 minutes. And we'd have the cron declaration and the cron declaration would say, I want to run this for th- every 30 minutes, but there's a maximum of two of these can be running at a different, at a certain time. So, you know, to a certain time, two of these can be running and have, each of them can last for 30 minutes. And then we'd say in the cron annotation, we'd say, check this is true every minute. So what would happen then is, you know, every minute the cron would run and it would say, oh, have you got two of you running? If not, I can start. Oh, you've got two running. All right, sorry. Another one, you know, oh, have you got two running? You know, this kind of thing. Yeah. And that worked really well. And it worked really well for a long time for us, uh, you know, because it was still using that system we had and it was a slow iteration on it, kind of, you know, kind of iterating on what we already had. And, we was, you know, it was allowing us then to have these continuously running processes. Um, and that is, you know, a good place that you can be at. But you can have these continuous processes and you can have, you know, your time-dependent ones and they can kind of be interleaved. Um, but... The trouble is, is there's a couple of problems with that. And one is that, say if one of the men unexpectedly dies. So I say it dies, you know, like halfway through, it doesn't do the 30 minutes yeah. and it's died. And now it's got a whole minute until that one will spawn up again because it's a minute until the cron checks. Yeah. And also another thing with that is that the cron checking every minute, it has to load up that command just for it to kill it again, maybe, most likely, because two will be already running. Yeah. And that can be a bit of a, you know, a bit performance intensive. And also another thing is, is it's gone into this whole idea that, again, the bus factor for you, maybe, where you're like, well, what's actually happening here? It's really confusing because it's like you've got this two, you're saying run every minute, but then you've got this while like you have to implicitly, you have to explicitly kind of write to say, you know, in the command to say, look, okay, what's really happening here is we want two of these running, but they may not both be running. We're checking every minute to see if they're running. If one of them can start running, then they do. And it's just, it gets... It, the, the, the differ- you have to differentiate between a continuous process yeah. and a time-dependent one. And that was one of the things then that I started working on. Um, so, I mean, kind of, yeah. So, so that's kind of the first part of the story. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, like, kind of your your feelings towards that. Like, how, how do you feel about maybe an approach like that where you would use cron and you'd have a run manager kind of feel? Well, I mean, to be, at the moment I am using, to be fair, I'm using Laravel's cron scheduler. So, like you say, there is then that connection to the code again, and you can see it. It's very easy to find. So, um, but yeah, some of the ideas you were talking about there, like certainly with like a continuous process. Um, but yeah, I'd be scared of things timing out or you know draining memory, memory leaks, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it sounds quite quite interesting way of doing things, to be honest. So yeah, I mean, so we that that was kind of where we were at from a couple mm. of weeks ago, and. And, and you know, one thing you do then have to bear in mind very much is, you know, logging is important because you need to know if these processes are running and, and how are they running and are, they, are there enough of them running? And, you know, you deal with like the way you deal with it, you know, what we do is with Datadog, we have queues, um, assist, you know, queue databases, essentially systems, you know, where you, you slowly pick off the, from, the, from the, you know, from the top, you know, like what I need to be able to do, um, you know, what, what needs to be processed, sorry. 
And yeah, so then you'd have like how long, what is the oldest item that hasn't been processed on this queue? Um, and that would allow you to see how long, you know, what the health is, you know, oh, hang on a minute, this is taking a little longer. Maybe we need to add another processing or, or something like that, that, you know, to be doing more output or more throughput, sorry. Um, and yeah, and that, that worked fine. But the, the, the differentiate, you know, to differentiate between a time-based task and a continuous task, I think is the key there. Mm-hmm. And you know your way of thinking about them cha- is 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 subtly different because when a time based task a time dependent you know i want this to run every hour because you know every hour i want to just send out you know our welcome emails or something um or i want to send out our you know survey emails or whatever you know surveys or i don't know do some kind of task but when you're dealing with queues and you're dealing with continuous stuff, it's like, I want to process this as soon as possible. I don't actually want it to be time dependent. I just want it to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, when something comes in, I want it to be as soon as possible. So you, you are looking at this forever kind of, I want it to be running forever, really, ideally. Like the world true would be great. Yeah. Um, and obviously the factors of real life kind of come in where it's like, well, it can't actually run forever. And that's when you get into things using stuff like Supervisor D. Uh, and that is a process control manager written in Python that essentially what you do is it allows you to you spawn process it spawns child processes or, or you know your code essentially from it and then and like when a sig child which is then that it's finished or it's exited for some reason has occurred sig uh, supervisor knows about it and can say okay then let's start up a new one so essentially what it allows you to do is say I want one of these running all the time or I want two of these running all the time. And when they die, it will just start up a new one for you. And you're, and, and it becomes, a, you know, let it die kind of thing is allowed. And it's that whole Erlang thing very much so where, you know, you're thinking like, okay, it's fine if it dies because we'll start a new one up. Yeah. And you never have to worry then about, you know, it's just, it's a completely different way of thinking. Is it hard to implement if you've not used it before? Uh, not really. It's very, it's very similar to Cron in that, you know, what you're doing is specifying what you need to run yeah. and it's, you know, config and everything. And then you're just saying, oh, I want two of these running, please. Or I want one of these running all the time. And you can use the status there and, and data dog integration is very well kind of kept because it's allowed, you're able then to check and analyze the health and make sure that none of these are critical. Um, it has kind of checks to make sure that processes don't time out, you know, unexpectedly. So, you know, what will happen is you'll say, look, for it to be a successful start of that process, it needs to be up for at least a second because maybe you'll have something in there that quickly kills it or something. Um, and it abides by like, you know, the status codes and stuff to what returned. Oh, there was an error. It's critical, etc. You need to address this. Um, what we actually did as well was we... Um, we also made so so that was one thing i made them i open sourced a couple of weeks ago which was the supervisor bundle which very much it pretty much is a clone of the chronos bundle um where it allows you to take again use an annotation uh, and you say i want supervisor how many processes do you want i want one of these and so it allows you then to use a command within when you do your deployment what it does is you're able to dump both you can dump the chronos so that's how it works is that the, the, there's a command that scans all your commands for you and says, all right, these are the commands, and it generates the Chronos tab for you. And then there's one that does it for the supervisor, and it will generate the config for you. And then you can just load those in to you know, your deployment when you're deploying it, and it will be like, yep, these are all the current things that are running. That sounds quite nice. I'm going to have to uh, check that out. And, and it works quite well. Mm. And But then there is a final part to this, uh, of this long, long story, and I'm really sorry I keep <laughs> rand- rambling, on, uh, rambling on. But uh, yeah, so the, the final part, though, is dealing with killing them or stopping them so you know again when you're dealing now with your processes so Mm. if i was to your process now that you have if i was to kill it halfway through i would would there be an issue there wouldn't be an issue but i wouldn't have a clue it had died other than you know looking at a database and thinking oh hang on what's going on here but no it wouldn't cause 
any huge, huge issues. So like. there's no, no, it's no like kind of partial completed process. So if yeah. I was to say like, say it was forever running, but I then, for a deployment, I needed to restart that process. Would I have to wait for the currently running process to finish before I could start a new one? Or could I just kill that one and start a new one and it would all be fine? Like, is there a kind of interleaved kind of, not the trouble is it's like non-transactional stuff that really is should be transactional? Uh, I was going to say, I mean, it's, all it's really doing is executing a query. So I guess once you've executed that query, it's going to run... Yeah, I don't honestly don't know what would happen. Um, well, no, no, I think that's fine actually. So, so I think what you've got because you've got the auto transaction stuff in there, really. Yeah. Um, I think with that, you know, if you're dealing with multiple queries and you don't begin a transaction and it's not yeah. database dependent, maybe it is the fact that it's dealing with a third party into you know, and you like say in sending an email. Well, I pluck the email out. I need to fetch something from one API, fetch something from another, and then do something else. Yeah. If I kill it halfway through. One of these things is going to be like, well, hang on, what happened to this thing? I assume it was sent then because I've I haven't heard any other reason why not yeah, or something. Yeah. Um, and and we got into this whole idea of soft killing. So and I said again, speaking to Joe last episode or probably a couple of episodes ago, you know, the idea that you can tell the process, hang on a minute, sig term. By the way, can you just terminate, please? Safely terminate and close down because I want to start a new one, maybe, or I just want you to die. Mm. Um, sig nine or six sorry sig uh, sorry sig kill uh kill nine which is what you typically do when you just want to kill something because it's like yeah you get you want to just completely that is like the be all and end all yeah there's no going back for this process it can't clean up itself it's gone you don't really want to do that you you ideally want to give it a little grace period so that and that's what we do with our deployments and stuff so one of the other problems we had with the deployments was there was a time in a window when we do a deploy that we would have maybe an old version of a process running and a new process running because you know, maybe that command had just started up and now it's got a 15 minute window to, to be around before, you know, it will start up and give our new code. So we had to always cater for that. Now, what we've done instead now is we and using supervisor with these forever tasks is to be like, you can use, you can do a H up on it, a SIG up, sorry. So you can say supervisor, reload your config, which we've just dumped using supervisor, D, uh, the bundle, sorry. And also, Try and terminate all your process. Oh, sorry, so terminate all your processes. So sig term them, give them a little bit of time. We then have this process within each of the processes to check to say, are you trying to do a soft kill? If you want to do a soft kill at these points, these are good breakpoints for you to stop. You're allowed to stop. So they're very specific to the application to that that that, that co- command code, uh, and then you can stop, and that's that's great, you know. And it also means then that you know safely that that process has happened. Maybe it's completing up to that. You know, it's like all right, I I, I will stop, but once I've sent off this queued email, and then you know I'm able to safely stop, and it gives that each command the safe, you know, a, a kind of a nudge to say we need you to stop. We'll give you a little while. Uh, and if you stop being there that time, you're great. Obviously, if they don't stop, uh, we eventually will have to sig kill you. Uh, but, you know, we, what we do is we give a grace period about 30 seconds. We're saying, look, you have that much time to all stop. And once you've stopped, and then what we do is we do an update and then we reload and we restart. And the nice thing about that is the deployment then is essentially, yep, I want everything to stop safely and I want everything to start with a brand new code. And it's it's working really well and we're really enjoying and reaping the rewards, rewards for that. Nice. Sounds good. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. Uh, it's a kind of a sorry. I've kind of just spewed off a lot of stuff there, but I really was like kind of. It was interesting when you mentioned that you were doing some some of this stuff now, and I really yeah. recommend like looking into Supervisor D. But it is that gradual progression, you know. Over time, your your solution will change based on your throughput, based on your needs. Is that and at the moment, that... a cron tab work fine, like a cron a simple cron job, just you know, will work fine. 
I feel like I've heard of supervised. Is that something that ships with most Linux distros, or it's something you have to install? Or so some things use it. So you have System yeah. D. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but that's not the same, really. Uh, you know, this is a pro. I mean, it's very similar. Like it wants to keep things running, yeah. but it's a more of like an application level one where it's you know dealing with things that you want, like business logic that you want. Like I want this command always running, as opposed to I want this service on the on the system actually running. Right. Um. But but some things do use it. Like I mean, Datadog, their agent uses it. Uh, so they use their own supervisor instance just so they can keep make sure that keeps running because things can happen, things can die, and things do stop, and you have to assert and make sure. And and that's when the beauty of like the Unix signaling comes in because it will let it know immediately, and then you can it will decide what to do next. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, uh, that was the thing I took away from one of that microservices book was that you should plan for things dying. You shouldn't just. <laughs> I think the Erlang philosophy of, you know, let it die. You, yeah. you have to take, you can't assume that things are going to, it's not a pure world. And I think it, it's not a pure world, man. It's not a nice world. Things are going to unexpectedly happen. Yeah. And, you know, dealing with that and dealing with failure is the key because it allows you then to your system. I mean, it's that whole, I mean, that was one actually thing you were talking about in the, the lost episode, as we'll call it, um, yeah. is the Netflix Chaos Monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they had a few, didn't they? It was Chaos Monkey and there was like chaos gorilla or something was even worse or oh god i love that like, yeah it's like we didn't get hit by a monkey we got hit by a gorilla or they just kill off like live systems or something it was insane but um but yeah i mean great idea really i guess if it helps you you know be ready for that eventuality absolutely man absolutely yeah well have you got any other things i mean we're hitting the 45 minute mark got a question um, I think I've probably asked you this three million times before, but I'm going to just hit you with it. Uh, best tool for testing your JavaScript applications in terms best. of uh, like behavior. Like, uh, I mean, I've used um, what's the famous one that you can like set up in Firefox and get running and stuff. Selenium. Selenium. Yeah, I've used that before. Um, but I'm guessing that was years ago. What, what's like the best? No, thing no, now? absolutely. I mean, Selenium still used. Uh, it depends on what you're doing. Like, it is obviously all broken up, you know, mm. with what you need to do. Like, I, if I'm clicking on that button, yeah, then are you testing to make sure that the I assert that the button action is called, or are you testing to make sure that the actions that occur within that button are then shown back up the screen to the screen, etc.? Like, how much is it a functional test as opposed to more of an isolated unit? Well, the thing is, like, this application is predominantly javascript i say it's like the biggest javascript application i've built so i feel like i need to cover all bases with it to be honest with you i mean I so i would say you have to split you you want as obviously it's that whole cone thing where you want as many unit tests as possible yeah they should be you know you'll be on end or you know where you're in isolation testing all these different processes that occur and you know different actions within you know behavioral kind of a unit of code like again a unit is not just a class it's like it can be a collection of classes that build up a yep. bit of functionality in your site or within you know your application uh and yeah so you'd go through that and then you slowly build up to more of the functional stuff where then it's like testing contractual testing i like to think of it where you know you're making sure that it is doing the api calls and that you're getting you know you're sending off the correct data for those kind of things and you it's very tough to say that there's no one-stop shop i would say for it um definitely one thing that we have been looking that you can look into jest and things if you want to look in react or the react world kind of thing um and then there's also things like the phantom js where you want to load up a full dom and then start manipulating it and assert that you know when i'm loading this up in this react you know 
when I'm reloading this, react that component up, assert this state with this state, assert that this is occurring and things. See, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm looking for something in between, like not testing and like very basic testing. I need something that I could do quick um, because time is really short. So, is there anything that's like really quite? I would, I would say then, like, so if you haven't done any, if 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 you're very much like, I need to start this off. I would yeah. say get Phantom going, okay, and assert the outer layer. Okay. Do some functional tests because that at least you've got some test coverage then. Yeah. And you can assert common, you know, paths, whether it's the happy cases or you're dealing with some of the, the cases. But then you want to then start looking into the actual core domain logic and working out, okay, can I break this up and work and testing these individual units? Cool. So I'd say work on Phantom JS first then and then go in. Outsourcing. I heard you loud and clear. <laughs> I knew you'd bring that up in this project, in this in this podcast. <laughs> Again, part of the lost episodes podcast. Oh, they, they, the audience will be reaping to, you know, be um, missed out on that. That was the best episode we've ever recorded, oh, wasn't it? Ever, it was so good. ever done. And lots Absolutely. of celebrity uh, cameos on that episode. Shame. Real shame. It is a real, real shame. Oh, dear. Well, I, I would say that's been a great episode. That's, again, my humble opinion. Um and yeah, I think we're ready to wrap up. But I do think now, and touch woods in my head, uh, and also while I just have a quick sip of coffee, one second. <laughs> ah, sorry, that is that's an, a plug there for coffee. what is this? This is Kenko Dark Roast. And do you get commission smoky. for every like cup that's sold, or? Well, no, I, I I thought you know I started off. I remember. Do you remember that chili Coke that I uh, I pimped once? Yes. Well, they never caught back to me, but I'm hoping that Kenko Dark Roast, intense and smoky, five percent, uh, five strength. These Use are the coffee beans. So I've, I bought a coffee machine. Free dev I'm a- Kenko, and you get like ten percent off. Right? Is that Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. There we go. I'm like you're thinking. Yeah, I'm a big, co- you know, coffee Kenko connoisseur. Uh, yeah, so we'll wait to see what is on the next episode. Who knows? <laughs> Famous, famous brand of coffee will we have there? <laughs> uh, anyway, no. So, yeah, I think it's been a great episode. And uh, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully, again, touch wood, uh, we'll actually be around more often. Now we've got Zencaster set up and we can hopefully ship these. Yes. Just ship it, I say. Just ship is, it is our, is our, Yeah, exactly, yeah. you know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, then, cool. Dave. Well, it's been great speaking to you. And, uh, yeah, I'll speak to you again next week. I'll speak to you then. Cheers. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at 3devsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number 3, Devs and a Maybe. <laughs>